Hello, everybody. I'm Heather Ward, SCA Senior Manager of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our SCA Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at SCA Specialty Coffee Expo and World of Coffee events. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. As we're taking some time to work through our 2019 lecture recordings from Expo, we thought we'd take this time to share some great content from 2018 that hasn't been released yet. If you want to see live lectures in person, visit worldofcoffee.org for a full schedule of our lecture series in Berlin this June. Since the early days of this specialty coffee movement, freshness has been one of its central pillars. It is best defined as coffee having its original unimpaired qualities. It is often understood as freshly roasted, ground within a few days, immediately extracted and consumed. In spite of this pivotal role of freshness for high quality coffee, the scientific measurement of freshness has been vague and elusive. In today's recorded lecture, Shahan Yuretzian outlines two approaches. One is based on the degassing of freshly roasted coffee. Shahan discusses the link between CO2 content and degassing to freshness, processing and cup quality while the other approach looks into the evolution of the aroma profile during storage. Here, Shahan introduces a series of freshness indices, suited to assess the evolution of freshness of roasted coffee during storage. While these ratios have shown to evolve during storage, the speed at which this freshness indices increase slash decrease depends on packaging, barrier properties, and storage temperature. This has opened the possibility to use both degassing and freshness indices to assess the freshness of roasted coffee and compare the quality of different packaging materials and storage conditions for preserving the freshness of coffee. Shahan Yuretzian is Professor for Analytical Chemistry, Bioanalytical Chemistry, and Diagnostics at the Zurich University of Applied Sciences, ZHAW, in Switzerland, and has earned an MBA from the University of Lausanne, Switzerland. His lifelong passion for coffee began in 1996, when he joined Nestle R&D in Lausanne, Switzerland. Here, his research covered everything from liquid coffee and coffee concentrate to soluble coffee and single-serve systems. In 2008, he founded the Coffee Excellence Center at the Zurich University of Applied Sciences, the first ever public research institute dedicated to coffee. He initiated in 2010 the first postgraduate degree on the science and art of coffee. Professor Yuretzian is a driving force behind the shift towards an innovation-driven coffee industry and is a board member of several coffee organizations. This presentation gets very technical, so we recommend listening while looking at the presentation slides. There's a link to them in the episode description. I'll jump in occasionally to help you follow along. Thank you, Peter, and uh, thank you for coming today, early, 9 o'clock, for this lecture on coffee freshness, a subject that we have been working now since probably more than two years, uh, that we took up in our group, and um, really the, ori- the origin or the motivation of, of this work was um, thinking about what is actually specialty coffee, what is it, you know, and, um, and when you think about quality or specialty coffee, it's really difficult to define what it is, at least to me. You cannot define the flavor profile, but at some point, going a little particularly into the history of specialty coffee, I realized that freshness is actually one of the key attributes of specialty coffee. Together with another attribute, which I I would consider a little bit more technical, which is I call consistency. Consistency is also an attribute of quality because if you roast in a special way, 
you have to have the skills to reproduce that every time again and again. So for me, really, two quality attributes for especially coffee is freshness, consistency, and perhaps more. But uh, I would call that the, the things that I would be able to identify. So I'd like to talk about this subject, and I'd like to mention, first of all, the, a booklet, a handbook that uh, just came out now for this uh, expo event. Uh, it's called the Coffee Freshness Handbook. Um, as I said, this is work that started more than two years ago. There are papers that have been published, book chapters written, so it's not like new, but we have now summarized that and put it together into a booklet. It's a uh, special coffee association booklet that uh, you can also buy at the SCA shop. I'd like to mention also it's, uh, the authors, just to mention Samo, Marco, myself, Shahan, we are all from the Coffee Excellence Center. Marco is also here. Um, he's giving a water workshop later, and he's working mainly extraction. He's a Q grader, water specialist. And Emma is a SEA um, um, specialist uh, in the science group, was, and she really contributed an important chapter, which is the sensory part, which we didn't have done. We are more scientists. So this is the, the booklet. If you have time and if interest, please go and get the booklet. Just to mention also, we, we second booklet that came out right now, which is called the SEA Water Quality Handbook. It's a follow-up on a former booklet that was called SEA Water Chart. Uh, a little bit more, more content. We simplified. Our problem always as a scientist is that we're always a little bit too complicated and we lose the people very fast. So I'm going to try to be simpler again. Uh, I, I don't know if I succeed. Um, until now, I think it's fine. Um, so the water booklet also you can acquire, and it's an interesting, really interesting subject. Water as subject, a lot of people have worked on it in the past, and um, I think it's an important thing. Now let me go to freshness, our subject of today. Um, as I said, I think freshness has to do a lot to do with what specialty coffee is. And uh, if you go back into the history of specialty coffee, um, you have to say where does it, where did specialty coffee really start? And I think you have to to recognize that it started really by, by a person called Pete, Alfred Pete. He was the origin. I mean, you can, you can, we can debate, but that's quite, for me, quite clear that he is the first person who really had the spirit of specialty coffee. He inspired people, and he was the person who did it. He's actually European. He moved to Berkeley and started his shop in Berkeley. And as you see, uh, what, really, what he really wanted to do is to offer fresh beans to customers. And as simple that sounds, that was a turning point, actually, at the, at the time. It wasn't really around people thinking to offer fresh coffee to customers in order to prepare fresh brew. And um, so Pete really established this concept, and, um, and he wanted, as written here, the short distance between the roaster and the customer. And he inspired, of course, people who then founded here in, in Seattle, Starbucks. They actually learned from him how to roast. And they are also in the same spirit, created Starbucks. The same thing, to offer freshly roasted coffee to customers. And the custom of freshness has been since then always at the heart of the specialty coffee movement. It's really important to, be, to offer fresh coffee. That's, uh, and I can go on with this example, many other um, many other people have followed up, but 
clearly, you, if you go back to the origin, you will see the concept of freshness as an as a, uh, important concept uh, for the movement. You can talk about micro lots is also important, all of that. It's sure, it's not all, but it is an important, a very important quality that people have mentioned on done. So, now why do we care about freshness? As I said, it is at the origin of the specialty coffee movement. It is the, where all started, in a way. It's today highly sought-after quality. If you go on web pages, you see a lot of roasters saying that their coffee is fresh, uh, a lot of people who advertise on freshness. So freshness today is quite a well-known property. You see it uh, in, in capsule systems, in a lot of marketing uh, language. Freshness has now come, become a kind of a mainstream, and it's a competitive advantage in the business. The, but what is really? How do we define freshness? That's the question. You know, today, when you talk to people, very often what you get is uh, people who define the process. How do I ensure that my coffee is fresh? So if I roast and then I grind it very fast and then I extract my coffee fast and drink it fast, so uh, if I have small, short times in between, then I end up having a fresh coffee. But it's not a definition in the cup. It's not like the, you can have a cup and then say this coffee is fresh because something in that cup is like that and that. It's very often defined by the process that you prepare your cup. Not only, of course, things are moving, but has been a little bit like that when we started a few years ago. Freshness is kind of an enigmatic, secret thing. You know, everybody is, it's kind of religion. You know, everybody is, my coffee is fresh. Why is it fresh? Oh, I did it, I roasted it yesterday or I roasted it four days ago. But, uh, but why, how can you describe the fresh in your cup became a little bit more difficult for the people to say what makes freshness. And it is difficult. It is not a simple concept. So the project that we, or the work that we started, it's uh, many different projects, is how can you measure freshness and by measuring freshness make it more rational, accessible to people uh, in, a, in a more rational, scientific way. And, um, and so... Most of my talk will be a little bit, will, will, will address that. But not only, there are, of course, we as a scientist, scientific group, we have a, a lab, we have instruments worth millions, uh, things that you would never be able to use in, in, a, in a more practitioner context. So on one hand, we would like to measure freshness. At the same time, we also, have the, we also ask ourselves, can we do something that can be eventually be replicated at a, at a cheaper level? So, um, <clears throat> and I think this is the challenge of science in, in the field that we are here, the specialty field. On one hand, you want to, cr to create data, insight, impact in the, in the coffee world. But you hear a lot also from the people who are in the business that they also want to have a, want to have a tool, go home, and be able to become themselves like people who do science, you know, to, to participate in the, in the process of measuring their coffee. So it's kind of a dual challenge. We want to understand freshness. At the same time, we would also like, at in some point, offer tools that you might be able to use at your place to say whether your coffee is fresh. Um, so... I don't think we are there yet, but it is somehow in the back of my head also that at some point that's also an ambition or also an expectation from the specialty coffee community that 
it's not only insight that you, you, are, you are expecting. So we are somewhere in between. We are between insight and impact, I would say. So I will get, let's go into it. How, take a step back and say, how could you eventually measure freshness? And when I talk about freshness, I'm talking about freshness of roasted coffee, not of green coffee. That's another world. Um, it's really only uh, roasted coffee. So the, the clock in our system starts when you finish roasting. And that's basically your original product, which has its unpaired qualities. And, um, and what we're actually measuring as freshness is the difference between this zero-point state as a function of time. So something changes. When you roast coffee, you have it fresh at time zero, and then coffee is a very labile product. That's, uh, I can say, so it really evolves very fast. And what could you actually observe scientifically? What could you measure scientifically that gives you like a measure, like a thermometer of the changes happening, which then you can translate as a loss of freshness? That's essentially the approach taken here. What are the major changes that are relevant to the quality? Uh, could you measure that and relate that to the time zero? And that difference is essentially the change in freshness. It's the approach taken here. And um, so what are the params that change once you have roasted and which are relevant to the quality and to freshness? There are really two different things. One is the CO2, and the other one is the aroma. These are two very important attributes that affect your quality. So what you need is techniques to monitor the changes of CO2 in your coffee, which we call degassing, if you want. And the other one is changes of aroma as a function of time and translate that into something that we would call a freshness index. So we define things that we call a freshness index that is essentially loss of freshness as a function of time. Dr. Yuretzian is on page five on the slide titled Measuring CO2 and Aroma Along Their Journey. Here on this graph... It's a schematic of, of what happens. So when you roast your coffee, you, that's the starting point. <clears throat> Green coffee doesn't have any CO2. It has um, it's, uh, zero CO2. All the CO2, but also the CO, carbon monoxide, <clears throat> is generated during roasting. So you can assume that these gases, they are generated to chemical reactions. There are different processes, caramelization, Maillard reaction. We don't have to go into that, but there are some chemical processes that generate your CO2 during roasting. Most of that gas, nearly 90% is CO2, carbon dioxide. So often I, I simplify and say the inorganic gases in coffee generated during roasting are CO2. But there are, there's, of course, a little bit other things. Um, there's a little bit... Um, Nitrogen, and uh, this number is too high, 7.3% um, water. This is too high. This is a mistake. It's more around 4 5% water, 3%, 2% water. <clears throat> so, but um, I think I know what's the bit. It's the CO content. That's the CO content. That's not the CO, that's not the water content. There is actually a little bit carbon monoxide, which is about 7%. And then you have also the aroma. The aroma in percentage weight is below 0.1%. Aroma as a mass is nothing. 
but it is, of course, very important. So what we're doing, essentially, is we're, we're following the, con the content of CO2 and aroma as a function of time and translate that into a change of freshness. That's the approach that we have taken in order to have some handle on the concept of freshness. And we we'll, I will discuss both and, um, and show you, first of all, first I will address the issue of CO2, how we measure it, and how we can discuss some of the impacts it has. How can we use that, essentially? And then, in the second part, I will discuss the, the aspect of aroma. Uh, I won't say too much about how you measure it. It's, uh, it's nothing new. It's, uh, but, uh, and then how, how we use it in order to, uh, to monitor the loss of freshness in different conditions. So the, set, the two different aspects, the aroma side and the gas, the CO2 side, as thermometers for freshness. So I'd like to start with the carbon dioxide, which is around 80%, 80, uh, 89 plus 87, uh, important. Now, I go first, first of all, I go straight to measurements. How do we measure the amount of CO2 and the loss of it in coffee as a function of time? We have essentially three methods right now that we can do it. And the good thing is we can measure the CO2 content loss in two different measures. The reason we have that is to validate methods with each other. They shouldn't contradict each other. But I'm going to show the one that is, I will call the most original, and that was developed by us in our lab. There is one developed by Probat that we also have in our lab, which is an interesting one. I'm not going to show that. And another one developed by Jakobs Webworks that we have also in our lab. Uh, we are testing. But in principle, they are all giving the same information. And uh, I think this method here is the most original one uh, that also we developed recently in our lab. So what do we do? We roast coffee. <clears throat> and then we put the coffee into a small container. Uh, here, whole bean, sometimes also ground bean. You can have both. And then you put that onto a balance. This is a balance. Here, the reservoir, and there's a small capillary. It's a small hole in it, which allows the coffee to degas. And the gas flows out here, out of the capillary. It's a very thin capillary. While it's degassing, it's losing weight. And we're measuring weight loss. So you have a given amount of coffee initially, and you measure the weight loss. You have, a, you have some techniques to avoid that water goes out, so you don't want to measure weight loss. But essentially what we're measuring is the weight loss of our coffee as a function of time. And this weight loss is loss of CO2. And, of course, there are a lot of... Um, tricks and things, you'd have to measure quite precisely, but um, that's the way it is, and just as a, as a reference, when you roast coffee, fresh coffee, you have, depending on roast degree and roast speed, you will have approximately 1% of the weight of your coffee is CO2. So that's the, that's the weight they're losing while storing. And that you can measure very precisely, and you get an information about the amount of CO2 in your coffee, the way how much you lose. And we use then that as a thermometer, as a measure of the freshness. A coffee that has no freshness has no CO2 in it, basically. And one that is very fresh has a lot, and it's degassing. So the amount of CO2 is an indicator of freshness. And uh, within months or two, you will have very little CO2, you have very little freshness, essentially the, the starting point. So, <clears throat> so what we do is uh, 
This, this setup also a little bit mimics the bag with a valve, where you have a little bit of pressure against it for degassing. It gives you a little bit uh, the situation of a, it builds a very, very small pressure inside, but it's very small, and you degas. And you have a thin capillary to avoid oxygen to come in, always some kind of gas flowing out. So that's the technique. And then we put it all into an oven. We, we do experiments generally at 35 degrees. We have two balances to have duplicates, and that's the other thing. The, the basis of scientific research is to generate data that you can trust. So um, basically our business as scientists is to create reliable data. That's the first, the first thing people expect from us. So we do re the repetitions and um, so validation. And, and um, so the goal, of course, we started that with a company called Mettler, Mettler who did, does balances, Coming back to passing something to you is the goal, of course, in the long term is to have this balance as a tool where everybody can use, put in the lab, and use to measure the weight loss, the function of time for specific plants, for roast degrees, roast profiles, and see a little bit how his calf is degassing, how much is in there uh, to, to do this experiment themselves. Right now, it's not on the market, but uh, that's the direction we're going. And then you can measure the, the CO2 loss. So understanding, first of all, basically data, so getting some data on that. Dr. Yuretsian is on page 7, on the slide titled Experimental Plan, Whole Beans, Arabica, El Salvador. The experiment that we did is we took one particular coffee, in that case Arabica, uh, and we roasted to three different roast degrees, light, medium, dark, and each one with different profiles. 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 13 minutes, and, um, and got by that nine different profiles, three roast degrees, three roast times. And the question here is, what is, how is degassing happening? How is it influenced by the roast degree, by the roast speed? How much gas is released? How much time does it take? How fast is it released? Just to, have like a, to make things visible you know, before we go further. So here is a typical... Weight loss. So the way it is plotted is it is plotted towards the top. It's basically you have here time, and here you have the loss of weight in milligram per gram. 10 milligram per gram coffee is 1% of the weight of your coffee, just uh, as a reference. So we're measuring here the weight loss. You might think perhaps you should plot it downwards, but it's, it's, uh, it makes sense for us to plot upwards. So after one day, you lose two milligram, which is like a, a quarter of percent of weight. And so you can really measure the weight loss as a function of time for this specific plant, for this specific coffee, rose degree, as a function of time. And this is the kind of data we get. That's kind of the raw data you get out, and, um, and you get this curve. Now, before I go further, what we do, of course, is we, we fit this curve. So we can, we can do some mathematical fitting with the objective that, for example, you measure four or five days and you extrapolate to how much total gas is in your coffee because this curve will go on or will go on and then at some point it will plateau. And then so one of the, of the fitting result is um, how much is the total amount of gas you have in your coffee, and how good can you predict that when you measure just four days, for example? You know, so, and uh, actually, we realize you have to measure quite a long time 
Uh, I don't go into the mechanism of release because there are different, the CO2 can be in different places in your coffee. It can be in the macropores, micropores, or it can be absorbed or, or, or dissolved in the oil. And each place where the CO2 is will have a different release dynamics. So and they are all super, superimposed to each other. That's why it's not just one curve. There are mechanisms that are early on uh, visible and others that are visible only at the later time, like the release from the oil partitioning. This kind of CO2 will take much longer, and that's why you will see CO2 coming off your coffee forever. And um, I can say that, for example, you can let your CO2 degas forever. Then you put it into water, there is suddenly more CO2 coming. There is some CO2 sitting in there that just doesn't degas which is somehow uh, absorbed on surfaces that will only be released when you uh, extract it. That's why you always will have a little bit crema, even if your coffee is really, really old, you will always be, have a little bit crema when you do an extraction, uh, ex extract with espresso. And the crema is mainly coming uh, from the CO2 in the coffee. But you release most of it, you know, we can, and we can actually measure these different fractions. But this is essentially the curve. We're trying to simulate it. We can also, for example, for an application, say capsule systems, we want to know how we want to have like one to um, a specific amount of CO2 left in the coffee before we do the packing. How long do we have to degas in order to have a specific residual CO2 in it before we do the packing to create some internal pressure in the capsule? So this kind of calculation can be done if you have a good simulation. Now this here you see 10 days. In 10 days you have approximately lost 10 milligram, which is 1% of the weight. And then it goes on. 18 days is 1%, uh, about 0.1% more. Of course, it plateaus, but it goes on. It goes on for 80, 90 days. You still have release. You know, you can measure it's not stopping. Now, here is an experiment now where you have, you roasted the same coffee. It's a dark roast with different speeds. Dr. Uretzian is on page 8 on the top slide. And... Um, the question is, does the speed of roasting affect the amount of CO2 you have in the coffee? And yeah, it does. And the way it does, you can just measure it. You can see it here. This one is the slowly roasted coffee, to dark roast, medium speed, and fast. Fast means probably around five, six minutes, and this is around 14 minutes. So it's a big difference in time. But you can see that the speed of roasting has significant impact on the CO2. Fast roasting will generate more CO2 in your coffee, and it will also have a different release behavior as a function of time. This, once you see it, you might have explanations. Uh, it's um, from other experiments. We know that during roasting, you already start to release, of course. So you generate your CO2, but you also release while you're roasting towards the second, towards the second part of your roasting. So if you have a long roast, the hypothesis is that you have already released quite a bit, but perhaps because of the lower temperature, you also generate less uh, because you need higher, because perhaps the chemistry is different. But the fact is, systematically, if you roast fast to a given roast degree, you will have significantly more gas inside your coffee, which will then degas also much uh, more, you know. Um, 
And if you have Robusta, just an example, you will have also more, approximately 30% more. That has to do with the composition of the coffee. But, uh, so this is the dark roast. And if you do um, medium roast, the same phenomena, but of course, as you see, the total amount of CO2 now is less. And that's kind of logical, nothing really uh, surprising. The darker you roast, the more you will have. But we know from other experiments that there's some kind of a plateau. If you go to dark roast and then you go darker and darker, there's not more CO2 coming in. That's probably due to the fact that you already start to release the, uh, at the given point, your coffee is becoming too brittle. But from a light to medium to dark roast, you get more and more CO2. And then if you go more darker than just a regular dark, uh, which is in our case 80 colorant, I don't know, uh, in the US units or whatever you use, um, it doesn't add more CO2 at some point. It more or less plateaus in the amount of CO2. But here you see clearly, and again, the slow, medium, the fast roast, the order is the same. You will have more CO2 in it. And these are the, this, the CO2 is then initially in the coffee and then released, and you have less and less. And here, basically a summary. This is now even a lighter roast. There you don't see really any more difference between fast and slow. Here you see, and you see the, the darker you roast, the more you have, and this is the fast, and this is the slow. This is kind of phenomena, and we can now put real numbers on it. We, we can say that uh, degassing, uh, 20 days, uh, you will have lost about 1% of the weight of your coffee just from degassing. If it's a medium roast, it's about half percent. If it's a light roast, in that case, it's about a quarter percent. We can quantify that. We can extrapolate to endless time how much gas we would release. These are the numbers. Now, the same thing for ground coffee. We did that as in particularly thinking of capsule systems, which are essentially ground coffee. And uh, their degassing is also really, really important because it has to do with the pressure buildup inside the capsules and, um, and keeping the thing fresh inside. So here is a release curve now of a, of a ground coffee, very light roast. The behavior is very different. You see that here it's a very steep degassing very early on. So f and kind of, you might say, it's expected. If you ground the coffee, it really releases within a day, two. You really have most of it released. It continues to release here, and the uh, plateau's slower, but it, it has a very different curve compared to the whole bean degassing. It's much f faster, and also you see that the amount that is left here is much smaller, and uh, overall you can say if you ground the fresh coffee, the process of grinding releases approximately 60 to 70% of your gas. So grinding is an abrupt and fast release of CO2, 60 to 70% if it's a fresh coffee. It's if an old coffee, then it's a little bit less the percentage because you have released, the, the, the CO2 can be released easily, say that way, was released, so the grinding release perhaps 50%, if it's all the 40% only, so the fraction that is released but the overall amount of CO2 is also less the older your coffee is. But the fraction that is released by grinding reduces as you wait and the coffee gets older. At the, at the fresh coffee level, it's around 60 to 70%. It just lost just from grinding, which is also an issue um, eventually if you are uh, somebody who is grinding big amount of coffee somewhere in a closed space 
because there is um, there is seven eight percent of that gas is CO carbon monoxide which is toxic. Yeah. An audience member is asking when Dr. Yuretsian says sixty slash seventy percent release, is that immediately or in a longer time frame? During roasting, immediately, immediately, during the the two minutes of roasting or one or the t- ten seconds of roasting. Yeah. Grinding. During grinding. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> The other moment where you have immediate release is when you wet coffee. When, you, when, when water touches, you have an explosion, explosion of CO2, and when you grind, you have like a huge release. So these are like the fast moments, and then there is this, this release over time, which is as ground or the whole coffee. So this is a light roast, and now we roast it uh, a little bit darker and darker, and you see that the curve now goes up, and you see it at the given roast level, that it plateaus again. So if you roast darker and darker, you will not get more. And actually, we have the same curve for Robusta. Same thing, Robusta also goes up, but it has significantly more CO2. Robusta has more. This has to do with the precursors in the, in the coffee that allows that generates more CO2. I didn't discuss here chemistry. This is another chapter. Where is the CO2 coming from? Um, it's not really relevant at this point, but... Uh, the, the precursor pool in a Robusta is such that you will have more CO2 coming, uh, being generated. Dr. Yuretsian is on page 12, bottom slide. Now, if I plot that as points, now here is the amount, the mass loss milligram per gram of CO2 lost after 90 hours. And here is the roast degree. This is a light roast and this is a dark roast. Here on top is Robusta. Here are points for the Arabica. What we see is that initially, when you go to darker roast, it's nearly a linear increase with the colorate value, uh, whatever the colorate value is. Colorate value is also a mysterious thing, but you have here the roast degree. You see that the Robusta systematically has more. Then when you reach something like a medium to dark roast degree, it doesn't decrease anymore. It more or less stays stable. Uh, of course, you, 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 perhaps you need more data, but this has been confirmed to other experiments also. Essentially, you have, a, you have 30 40% more CO2 in a Robusta. People know that also. Probably people who, who do espresso see that the Robusta will have more crema, which is basically a reflection of the amount of CO2 in, the, in your coffee. And you get here kind of physical numbers on, on how, much, how much is CO2 in your coffee. Now, I'd like to, to give a few examples for implications. How does that affect processing? Where does it affect the cup? There are, of course, many, many instances. As I said, as I said you have to be, be aware that when you grind coffee, um, you, you release a lot of coffee in a very short time period. A lot of, uh, 7-8% of this gas is carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide is toxic, is, uh, and it is heavier than air, which means that it will segregate to the floor and will fall, fill the room that you are in. So if you, if you roast, if you grind a lot of coffee somewhere and you don't have proper aeration, it's actually not safe. Because you release, we can calculate the amount of, air, uh, of CO2 and CO that generates, a small grinding, just a small coffee shop will not be an issue, but if you do it kind of a bigger scale, uh, you need aeration. It is a health issue. And we can calculate that. Uh, so that's the first point here during grinding. Then, of course, CO2 plays a significant role in the, 
preservation of quality in your bag in the, in the, during storage. And um, at least we believe. <laughs> um, and, um, and so it will actually create an atmosphere because the coffee beans that are inside will degas and you can measure actually the function of time. I didn't bring the data, but we measured you. Uh, when you put coffee into a bag, it, after a while, the atmosphere will change. If there was any, any oxygen in it, it will be pushed out, and it will be mainly CO2 because of the CO2 being released from the coffee, and you create a protective atmosphere in, inside the bags. And if you have a fresh coffee that you put in, you will have that faster and better. But there's also... Um, a trade-off, if you do it too fast, it will create too much pressure, and uh, the valve might not be working properly. But, uh, but the CO2 here will create a, a, a nice atmosphere for protection. Another place where CO2 plays a role is extraction. When you have most barista might know, when you extract coffee, you come with hot water on it, you will immediately release the CO2 that is inside and if it's too fresh, it will affect the extraction. The same thing with filter coffee, actually. Um, and it will, in the, but in the espresso system, uh, what will happen is that it will create a pressure inside the coffee, in, inside the porta filter, and it might uh, prevent water flowing. So if you have too fresh coffee, if, if you, or you don't control the fresh of your coffee, you will have an impact on the way the water flows. And that has not, nothing to do with the amount of coffee. It has with, to do with the amount of CO2 that is released. When the water touches your coffee, it will release immediately the CO2. And if it's very fresh, it will create a pressure against the flow of water because a lot of gas is there, and you will not have a good flow. So, um, And that's why some people, you know, and or if some, somebody asks me, how long do I have to store my coffee before I... I prepare coffee, uh, I do extraction for espresso, the, the argument is there that you have actually to wait a little bit in order for your coffee to calm down. Because the first, the second, third day, the amount of CO2 is very different. It changes so much that you have basically to readjust your coffee machine constantly. After, say, a week or eight, ten days, the amount of CO2 is already coming to plateau a little bit, no more changing so much, and you have a more stable coffee, so you can actually prepare it better in your machine. You can adjust the amount of coffee, the grind, um, in a better way. So it's a little bit, uh, and uh, for me, a coffee that is 10 days old is not old, so it's as long as you store it under CO2. But um, that's uh, the only disadvantage of doing a coffee very early in the two, three, four days is basically the amount of CO2 that is so much that it's kind of an unstable element in your extraction process, and it varies fast. And then, of course, the crema. The crema is also a result of the CO2. So CO2 is a small molecule, but it, it plays a lot of roles. So a coffee that has no CO2 in it will have essentially no crema. And uh, the crema is essentially the, the CO2 released while hot water it gets in contact with your coffee. It is released, and by other elements in the coffee, by macromolecule, the bubbles are being stabilized. It forms kind of a layer around the skin, and uh, so it's not enough to release the gas. You need also some molecules in your coffee that stabilizes your bubbles in order to make a stable crema or foam, whatever you call it. And so on one hand, you need the gas to generate some 
some, ga- some foam, and then you need some molecules which are in the coffee that make a skin around these bubbles, um, macromolecular compounds, to stabilize it. And sometimes people say that the skin is fat. It's not fat, because fat is, is not good for the crema. So if, um, if you have uh, too much fat in your coffee, you will have a bad crema. So the, the stabilizing things around the bubbles is not fat layer. You can do the test eventually if you have a, cr- a finger where you have a hand cream. You, you, you touch your glass inside. You will see that at that era where you have fat on your glass, the crema will break down. Fat destroys crema. It's not, it's not stabilizing crema. So, but... So all these elements, so it, it has an impact during grinding for health issue. It's, it, it's important for the stability in, in the packaging. It, it's very critical in the way you extract. Uh, it, uh, it defines extraction. It creates the crema. And then finally, it also has, but there's not, not enough scientific evidence, it has also some impact on the acidity feeling in your cup. Um, uh, it's not yet... It would be logical. A lot of people say it. I don't think we have scientific data on that. But because of the CO2 goes to transform into H2CO3, which is an acid, um, you get a, a fresh coffee will give you some kind of acidic note more. But um, some people say they, they, uh, they experience that very clearly. Uh, we haven't measurement on that, but it makes sense. So here is another example now on cooling. Now, we get always asked is... What does cooling do to your coffee? So here are, and here I'm going to show it on, on CO2 and say something about aroma as well. <clears throat> here we have a coffee, we, we roasted it coffee, whole beans, and then the, the green curve here is the release of CO2 of the freshly roasted coffee. So we, we, we measure how much CO2 is in the freshly roasted coffee. We take also some of this coffee, we store it at minus 25 Celsius. I think that's minus 15 Fahrenheit. Dr. Uretzian is on page 13, bottom slide. And um, after one week storage, we take it out and we measure the CO2 in that. So the question is, did, did you lose CO2 during this one week storage at minus 25? And another back two weeks. And what you see here is that they are totally overlapping. So Storing coffee, roasted coffee, at minus 25 leads to no loss of CO2. It's basically stabilizing your system. Um, <clears throat> it is important not to call that freezing because you're not freezing your coffee. You're just cooling it down. Um, sometimes people, consi- because we go below zero degree, people call that freezing. But freezing is a notion only uh, true for water. Coffee bean has, roasted coffee bean has 2-3% water. And uh, so there is really too little water inside a coffee bean to call it a freezing. And uh, so going to minus 25 is just cooling your bean. There is no really freezing going on in the, in the coffee bean. In the, in the green bean, which has significantly more, 12%, then you can, you can ask yourself, what does that water do to your bean structure if you freeze it, you know, if you go below zero? But for roasted coffee, there is no water in it, so it's just a cooling. And it seems that if you cool it down to minus 25 degree, you basically stop the degassing. It's not degassing. But, <clears throat> but it's not the, re- the, real, the true story. If you do it longer and um, 70 days, 
not two days, not two weeks, at minus 25 degree. Here we have the freshly roasted coffee, and here we have the same coffee that was stored for 70 days at minus 25. You see now that the degassing is slower. So you lose something. You lose something. The question is how much do you lose per cooling? And what you actually can do here, it's quite, a, quite interesting, is you can shift this blue curve into the red curve and then find out how many days you have to shift it forwards that you get the full overlap. I don't know if you understand. So basically what we do, we shift that into it, and then we have to shift it only two days towards all longer times here to have a full overlap. So the blue curve and the red overlap totally only by shifting the blue curve by two days, which means, uh, interpretation, that storing at minus 25 degree during 70 days is the same thing at storing, as storing two days at 35 degree. Because this is 35 degree, this is, and these are 70 days, so you shift it two days in front, you overlap totally. But so storing at minus 25 degree 70 days is same as two days at 35 degree. And if you translate that into other numbers, you see that by, by cooling it by 10 degree, you reduce the degassing by a factor of two, or vice versa. And that's a, quite a known rule in, in chemistry, um, which basically says that a lot of processes go slower if you cool down, and the rule is 10 degree cooling, factor of two. And it seems that in degassing, we have more or less the same. The real number here would be 1.8, but it's very close to two. So cooling by 10 degree uh, slows down everything by a factor of two. 20 degree factor of four, 30 degree factor of eight. And so that's kind of the, the rule that we're observing here. And, um, and some similar number, a little bit similar for the aroma. It's more difficult to see. But that's basically what cooling will do to your coffee. It will never stop things, but 10 degree will slow down everything or extend the shelf life by a factor of two say it that way. That's what we see here on the CO2 side. Now here the crema. Here are four coffees. One was freshly roasted, the other one was 10 days old, two months and one year. And um, we're extracting these coffees. And now you see that <coughs> they flow differently. Here you have a thick flow, here a very thin flow. And um, here you have much more crema, here you have much less crema but you still have a little bit crema after one year. It's not like you don't have any crema. But more or less, you see, these are just four different movies we put together. Um, you see that the age or degassing has a significance. Now this one is already stabilized. There's nothing here. Crema is still segregating, building the thing. We have seen that the flow was thicker. And um, essentially, this is the other effect. The amount of CO2 will affect directly your crema. And of course, the extraction process. And here, after a while, when you let it rest a little bit, you end up with such a thing. That's the other expression of the CO2 in your coffee. It will, of course, affect your, um, your crema. You also always have also to readjust your extraction. If you have less CO2, you cannot just use exactly the same conditions. But uh, this is one other impact. So that's a little bit what I want to say about CO2. There is more in the booklet. You can read it there. 
But so CO2 is a small molecule, often neglected, but it, has, it plays quite an important role in the coffee. And uh, so we're trying to bring more rational data into it. We measure how much is released as a function of roast, of, uh, also of variety and uh, different type of coffees. And the work is going on um, in different projects. Now I'd like to go to the other side of freshness, which is perhaps more obvious, which is the aroma side. We know that coffee people in general know, are aware that aroma is something very labile, and coffee, when you extract the coffee after five minutes, is no more the same. After two hours, it's no more the same. Aroma, that's kind of the sensory world people are aware of. So it is obvious to, to look for some freshness markers in the aroma side. And aroma research is old. We do, we do since many, many years aroma research. Since 20, 40 years, people do that. It's quite complex. You need, you need instruments, uh, GCMS, so it's not that easy if people don't do gas chromatography to have access to aroma analysis. It's not that easy to do it with very simple tools. Dr. Yuretsian is on page 15, the bottom slide. But um, here is the green coffee. The green coffee has all kinds of constituents, you know, sugars, amino acids, trigonoline, lipids, and then you roast it. And what you do is you generate all kinds of flavor compounds. These are the key flavor, key compounds, as we call them, um, that has been identified in research. We know that there are different type of reactions. For example, some that you might know is the Maillard reaction. The Maillard reaction is a reaction between sugars, reducing sugars for the chemist, and amino acids. When they come together, they react and they generate all kinds of aroma compounds. And we call these the Maillard reactions. One avenue which generates aroma, and these are some typical molecules. Often the sulfur-containing molecules are in this group, coming from amino acid with sulfur. They are very important for the aroma. Furfurtiol, as an example, is a compound that is well known in the, in the world of chemists as having some kind of coffee aroma-like smell. But it's not, not really coffee aroma. The, the interesting fact with uh, coffee aroma is that there are perhaps 30 molecules that are important for the coffee aroma, but there's not a single molecule that smells coffee. Individually, they all smell all kinds of different things. It's only when you put them all together that you end up with a coffee aroma. This is different, for example, in fruits, in, uh, in ananas or banana. There is in banana, there is one molecule that you can identify that smells banana. Vanilla, you have one molecule that smells like vanilla. In coffee, that doesn't exist. You have a range of compounds. People sometimes say, you know, you read, even in scientific papers, there are 1,000 aroma compounds in coffee. This is not true. There are 1,000 volatile compounds, compounds that are volatile, but most of these don't smell. Really, there are only about 30 flavor compounds or aroma compounds. And, uh, and you hear constantly people talking about 1,000 aroma compounds. It's just not true. These compounds are there, but a lot of compounds are in the air here, but they have no smell. So people con confound, they make a mistake between volatility and aroma impact. They are, most of them are at such low concentration that they are below threshold. You don't get their aroma. So really there are more like 30 aroma compounds in coffee that are relevant, and the rest are not relevant because they are below threshold or non-smelling. So these are the compounds. Now, 
If you want to study freshness, what you could do is you can monitor the concentration of these compounds as a function of time during aging, during storage or loss of freshness, and somehow extract an index that expresses your loss of freshness. Now, this, this is done, but um, there has been now, uh, it's not new, but we have a little bit pursued that in more detail. We look at very specific individual compounds, and we don't look, here are four compounds. Dr. Yuretzian is on page 16, top slide. You don't have now to worry too much. This is just four compounds here. They have different uh, other attributes, volatilities and reactivities. And here are two compounds. Methanthiol is a compound that is present in freshly roasted coffee. When you roast coffee, this is one of the compounds that you find in really fresh coffee, but disappears very fast. For two reasons, because it's very reactive, it's a very unstable molecule, and it is volatile. So methanthiol is actually a compound that is a very nice signature of freshness. So we, this is something that you have to watch if you want to see whether your coffee is fresh. Other compounds, like dimethyl disulfide, you will not find in fresh coffee because it's a compound that is generated during aging. It is, it is a compound that is, its, its presence signals the loss of freshness or aging. And in fact, what's special is that they are connected. When methanthiol, two methanthiol molecules react, they form dimethyl disulfide. So it's chemically connected. So the approach that is being taken now, I'm going to show, is we don't look anymore at single compounds, you know, how much is of that or that, but we look at the ratio, the relationship of two compounds, and the ratio we call the freshness index. And, and depending on whether this is growing or not, we can say whether this, co this uh, coffee is fresh or not. And so we can define many different ratios, but this is quite an important one that we use quite often because it is very sensitive to, to changes early on. It is uh, something that you can measure within a few days. You see changes of, of, uh, of these this compounds, so they are very sensitive to fast changes of freshness. And here are typical ratios. So here you have the compound dimethyl disulfide, I told you. Uh, initially, in the fresh coffee, you wouldn't have anything. Here you have a little bit, and then it increases. The content in your coffee increases just over three weeks. Whereas the other compound is methanthiol, which is very present freshly roasted coffee. It essentially goes away within three weeks. And if you form the ratio of these two, the concentration of dimethyl disulfide versus divided by methanthiol, you get a ratio that increases. And that's what we call the freshness, ratio, freshness index. And you can define with that different freshness indices, which puts in relation two compounds to each other, their relationship, and it's an expression of a balance in a way, if you want to call. Uh, it, the balance in your cough is changing, and you get this freshness index. And by following this and looking at the number, you have another way now to comp now, when, you, when I refer back to CO2, here's an aroma signature of the loss of freshness. And you can define these freshness indices that we apply to different situations and follow the loss. And I'm going to show a few examples how we apply that now to follow the freshness. I'm going to jump over the chemistry. This is how, what things, how it's going. This is an example. Dr. Yuretzian is on page 17, bottom slide. 
here is a, a coffee. This is a whole bean that um, it's an Ethiopian coffee that we roasted ourselves on a probatino. We put in a bag <coughs> with a valve, and we store the two different temperatures. And what we want is to use this ratio to, to see the impact of temperature during storage on the loss of freshness. So it's a simple, we, we, quite, we can expect the temperature will have an impact, but we'd like to see that our freshness index expresses that as well. And we, we measure this fresh index here. Here, at 22 degree, we start at the very small value, the ratio, and it goes up. But if we store at 50 degree, it goes also up. But see, this is a totally different scale. So you have actually a, an acceleration of the increase of this fresh index. So this fresh index really expresses the loss of freshness. And it is, in a way, it's more or less also a, a doubling per 10 degrees Celsius of the speed of increase. We don't have much experience at that, the doubling, but you see significant increase. And you see that the temperature here on this index, it is called the dimethyl disulfide methyl ratio, freshness index, the temperature has an impact. And so we have here a ratio that shows you how the temperature will affect, for example, the storage. One simple application. Dr. Yuretsian is on page 18, bottom slide. Another application is... Um, um, is to look at the impact of oxygen in the packaging. But now we didn't do a packaging, but what we did is we, we had here whole beans. We, we stored it like that, and then we, we put, no, what we did, we grind it, we put it in here as a ground coffee, and we stored it as a ground coffee for a period of time. And we varied the atmosphere, oxygen content in the vial, and the temperature of storage. And we looked again at, the, at this ratio. And, um, and so we had here three oxygen levels, 0, 10, and 20, and two temperatures, 30 and 50. And we just didn't see any impact of oxygen content in the vial. So if you have actually oxygen, you have some oxygen, we're talking about between 0 and 20 degree oxygen, um, in the vial, this difference in oxygen is probably not that significant compared to how much oxygen you have absorbed on your coffee. And uh, so even rinsing the ground coffee, you know, rinsing the headspace of your ground coffee and storing it with different oxygen content, the change in, and now we're plotting it here uh, the other way around, and this metal tile diameter, it's actually, it's the ratio is turned down. That's why we have a decrease here. Uh, we can plot it in both ways, actually. I don't know, we can, so it increases or decreases, depending on how you plot it. I don't want to go into that discussion. It's, uh, but you see that the different oxygen levels doesn't have any impact on the way the freshness is lost. They get, the freshness is, is going away, storage at 30 degree, at 5 degree much faster. Basically, here, this ratio is not usable if you store it at 5 degree, because it's a very sensitive ratio. But oxygen doesn't have an impact if you store it. If you don't, it's very difficult, essentially, to get rid of the oxygen. If you grind your coffee and then you rinse the headspace with oxygen at zero degree, you somehow don't see a difference between these two. And we had seen that in the past. So there must be either big reservoirs of oxygen in the ground coffee, or it's just not a big, big impact. But temperature, of course, shows an impact. And so we can basically test different conditions 
is that now a good way of rinsing with oxygen? Does it make a difference or not? And we can see in some cases it doesn't make a difference, whatever the interpretation is. Here's a third example, which is we have a whole bean in a bag, and we pack it into four different packaging formats. Here, one is a paper. The other one is a plastic composite film. These are these two. And these here are packagings with aluminum inside. It's aluminum packaging. Dr. Uretzian is on page 20, bottom slide. And we have here different ratio because the, I just want to show that you can have different ratios, not only methyl dimethyl sulfide. There are different ratios you can use in order to express the freshness. And what you see here is that as soon as you have aluminum in your packaging, the, this ratio doesn't move. And it's really important to have aluminum in your whole bean packaging in order to change the dynamics of freshness loss. So this is another fresh index, and you see that this index doesn't move really if you have aluminum, whereas if you have paper or plastic, it changes the ratio. The chemistry is moving on. The ratio is freshness is reducing. And this is a way to show that aluminum actually, which most people might know, but you can actually show it here. And you can also, of course, taste it if you want. But um, a very important element. And actually, you see it even within a few days. This experiment, we did it with the idea. We said that, you know, so, uh, specialty coffee is something you're going to consume anyway within three weeks, you know, or say a month. Perhaps paper could be okay uh, because uh, aluminum is perhaps better, but the difference will only show up after one or two months. But the reality is that it shows very fast. Very, even after one week, we see a significant difference between a paper packaging or a plastic versus aluminum packaging. Aluminum does make sense, you know, because you might all say, why use such a high-tech packaging if it's consumed within a month? These results indicate that it makes a difference. Another example are different capsule systems. These are a lot of experiments has been going into there. You have the same coffee in different capsules, which packaging protects your coffee the best? And here are four different packagings. Uh, these are both only plastic packagings. This is a full aluminum packaging, and this is a plastic packaging with a secondary aluminum pack, aluminum foil around it, a secondary packaging where it is inside. And so we followed for these four different coffees the change, some of the fresh index, and look how it evolves. And here is the one that is only aluminum, fully aluminum, this kind of packaging. And here, this one here is the plastic, but in a secondary aluminum coating. And these two are only plastic. And you see that, you see a significant difference. You see, of course, a difference at time zero, which indicates some aging that has happened before you package. So there's, it's also relevant how you treat your coffee. It will all the age before you pack it into the packaging. But then here you have hardly any change. And here also you have actually less change if you package it into a secondary aluminum, whereas the plastic packaging is going up. And so you can have an indication of the impact of the packaging on the capsule system, for example. And you can apply that to different things. Let me jump, jump over that. You can put it, you can store it differently. And then and consume it while your packaging is open. That I call the secondary shelf life. And now the question is, you can store it in different packaging formats. Do you see any difference? Does this fresh index help you to see a difference? 
the first one, essentially we did a project with a company who introduced, um, this is a whole bean with a, with, a with a screw cap opening where you screw open and you take out. And then this typical clip that a lot of people use, sometimes people uh, cut it open and, and stick it with a scotch down. And sometimes people use this kind of a canister can where they put all the coffee in it. And so the question is, if I store the coffees in these four different formats, do I see a difference just by going back to this fresh index that I introduced before, and can I say if there's any difference or it's all the same? Well, here is, the, is this ratio. This is another ratio, 2-butanon-methylfuran. And what you see is that if you put it into a can, the freshness as you're consuming, using it out, here really goes away. This here, the reference, is, um, is when you never, this is basically your coffee that you never open. You open your, uh, your roasted coffee after one, two, three, four weeks. So this is the primary shelf life, as I call, without putting it into the, into the secondary packaging. It would have evolved like that, this ratio. But what you see is that this here, the clip, and this one are performing the best. Of course you age. The scotch tape, the second, and putting over into another can is the, the worst. So uh, ideally, you keep it in your original packaging, and you use a clip in order to have the stable. The reason is also not so complicated to understand. If you, if you have a bag, this, the coffee has degassed a lot already. This, this CO2 creates a protective atmosphere inside the bag. If you take it and you pour it over, you just lose the whole protective atmosphere. It starts to degas, but has not so much gas. You essentially lost its protection by putting in here. Whereas if you leave it inside uh, and just cut open, uh, you will just leave the CO2 this protective and you will uh, have a, a day. And so this is another way to look. So this index also allows you to see this kind of differences uh, on different secondary packagings. Other ratios don't show, but that's just... Uh, so I think I'd like to conclude here. I, I showed a lot, a lot of information. I hope not too much, and those who want can go and read that or, uh, or read publications that we have published. Essentially, to summarize, take-off message, uh, I think freshness is becoming more and more something important. People talk about, people claim their coffee is fresh. And so what we're trying to do is to develop some kind of systematic measurement, some kind of a rational approach, what is freshness, you know. So it doesn't become a religion. So you can essentially measure the aroma, the gas content, and uh, we can put numbers on how much, how, you, how fresh is your coffee, actually, you know. So it's to take a little bit the religious aspect away by making, that, making it measurable. And we do that by having one index that is related to the aroma and one to the CO2. These are the two major changes that happen during storage. You might have other changes, like perhaps a little bit migration of oil to the surface. Uh, I don't know really how to use that, but uh, the major, two major changes that happen during aging is the aroma change and the CO2 loss. And so we're taking these two and trying to monitor that as a function of time and to develop some tools, some understanding, some information out of that that can be related to freshness. <clears throat> so we, that's what we do. And, and we would like, of course, to develop tools that at some point can be passed over to you. For the aroma, it's really not that easy 
because you need to look at the compounds individually. You need gas chromatography. But today, you know, I mean, gas chromatography, if you buy a second-hand GC, you can buy it for 5,000, uh, but you have to learn how to use it. But in, I, have, I have seen people over the last five years who, who have learned a lot, you know, in the, so it's not impossible. Perhaps we'll see in five years a coffee shop with a GC in the back. Who knows? Uh, it's, not, it's not something... I see more and more people losing their fears towards technology, so... Uh, Whereas the gravimetric, I can imagine that will be something easier to bring to the market, perhaps in, in a few years. So that's the way we're going. I'd like to, to thank to the group. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm perhaps here, I'm running the Coffee Excellence Center. We are, I'm the head of this. I'm actually a chemistry professor, but we do mainly coffee research. And the people in my group, the important people are Sebastian. He is mainly focusing. So we have a Coffee Excellence Center where we have five pillars, and the people focus on different eras. And um, Sebastian is mainly on origin, health, um, green coffee overall. Samo is responsible for a project that we call transformation, which is roasting and grinding. And he is the, the lead scientist on, on this freshness work, who I presented. He is not here today. Um, Marco, he is giving, he is here. Marco is a gave yesterday a presentation on tracking extraction, and uh, he's going to give a workshop on water, and he's also the main author of this booklet, the ACA Water Handbook. So that's a big subject that uh, we have been developing on water. So Marco is also a Q grader. He's specialist on extraction, water, and sensory. Then we have one person who is uh, really a specialist on aroma, chemistry, uh, contaminants. I don't know if you know furan, acrylamide, uh, so these issues, you know, uh, these are the process contaminants, so the negatives, but also the positive side of aroma. And then we have um, Sabine, who is responsible more for the sustainable social aspects of coffee. And we have also um, some postgrad degree that we are offering, um, e-learning postgrad degrees that she is developing, that uh, so uh, our university is offering coffee degrees, uh, study, you can study coffee. And that's Sabine. Okay, I think that's what I want to say. Thank you very much for your attention. Um, there is evaluation form, and uh, so I don't know if there are any questions. Yeah, evaluation forms are there to fill out. Thank you very much. Yeah, my compliments. Um, just to An audience member is asking whether it's worthwhile flushing bags of freshly roasted coffee with nitrogen. If what I'm hearing you say today is correct, it's a total waste of time and money. For ground coffee. For whole bean, I wouldn't say that statement. We have to test that. But actually, we have just seen less impact on, on flushing. But really on ground coffee and whole, I would, I would prefer to, to have more data. Because you cannot flush all, you know, that's the problem. What we'll do next is we're going to try with a, with a gas that is really heavy, like argon, that will really displace the oxygen that is sitting there, you know. Eventually, that could help, but we don't know really. Right now, we haven't seen the effect. Excellent work. Thank you so much. An audience member is asking, with different CO2 values from different roast values, which is more important, the absolute CO2 concentration or the percentage loss? He mentions that the lighter roast has much less CO2 loss. Does that mean it's going to be fresher tasting for longer? Yeah. So, really... The freshness is related to the amount of CO2 is left inside. 
but you have to scale that with a roast degree. So if you have a light roast, a little bit CO2 left inside means more than if it's a dark roast. But really freshness, uh, a coffee that has no CO2 left is less fresh than one that has much. So if you, if you have a coffee that you don't know, you, you measure how much CO2 is in there. But of course, if it's a very light roast, you will have already initially in the beginning much less. So we have to scale that with the roast degree. So it's, the loss is, of course, what makes it age. But if you want to measure the freshness, it's how much is left there is to find out. So that's, that's more the measure of freshness, yeah. But you can, you can phrase it two ways, of course, but yeah. An audience member is saying that the booklet, Sensory Experience, doesn't mention the sensory experience of freshness. It just focuses on the chemistry. But how practical is that? And the sensory, sorry, the sensory, yes. We haven't done that much work. We have done some. So, for example, the freshness index, the methyl dimethyl disulfide, what we have been trying, but we haven't been really successful, is say once you are above one, then you are going into an era where you're no more totally fresh, you know. But it hasn't been possible to do that. We need much more time. And we are, we are right now, we are in our group, we have one Q-grader and two that are going to do it soon. So um, we work with external panels. Uh, it just needs more work. But yeah, we, we taste a difference, but we don't have scientific data. Yeah. Yes. I want to thank you. Your work is really awesome. Um, I thank was you. wondering just some clarifications. In the beginning, we were going over the first pictures were VOCs and CO2. And I was wondering, as we progressed, we, you were just measuring the CO2 and not the volatile organic compounds. And during your degassing, did you ever do any type of headspace testing or purging through a GCMS to see if you are getting any of the VOCs out or if the weight is solely mm-hmm. CO2? Yes. This we have done. So what basically the, the question there is, loss of CO2, does that correlate also with loss of aroma? Just the weight um, that you're getting, like the numbers you're getting for the CO2 coming out, do you know that's solely CO2 coming out and not any of the VOCs coming out with it? Especially during the grinding, that was one thing that was really yeah. interesting because with that you're applying a little bit of heat, so you would be getting a little VOC out. Yeah. And so I was wondering if that was looked into at all yet. We looked into that. Okay. And we see that it doesn't correlate totally. So it, uh, the CO2 loss is not identical with the VOC loss. Mm -hmm. There are differences. So one of the strategies there is, because CO2 actually, you could say, I'd like to get rid of it, you know, as long as I don't lose volatiles. So one possibility, and that's what one thing we're doing, is how can I uh, get to a situation where I lose preferentially CO2 and no aroma? So I get rid of my CO2, which is a problem for many things, actually. It's not a except for the cream, I know, if you want the cream up. But, but really, um, there are ways, probably with temperature, to promote CO2 loss without losing C- uh, aroma. They are, of course, connected, but they are not totally connected. There, there is a difference between both. And so we are actually building new equipment to be able to, to measure the difference for that. Right now, we have indication that they are not totally connected, but we don't have very solid data. And right now we're building uh, equipment to, to measure both in parallel and to see how we can decouple these two to promote, for example, this degassing. Mm-hmm. I have one other question about the freezing. Just um, in coffee, you hear so many 
pros and cons of freezing. I was wondering if you know the water. You said two to three percent after roasting. Is that free water or is it bound? Does it have the ability to crystallize at this temperature? No, it doesn't have. Thank you. An audience member is asking, once a coffee's temperature was dropped to reduce the CO2 release in the freezing experiments, if he'd done any more studies of what happens when you increase that temperature again? Well, you know, when you freeze it, you bring it back to room temperature for before the experiment. So it's never just only freezing. So we, all the experiments are done, you freeze it, and you bring it back to room temperature. So... And and so and then so all that's how the results are. It's not like we don't do the experiment with frozen coffee. We bring them back to room temperature. So we have it always the whole cycle. And we don't in the CO2 I showed you we see a, a reduction of the release by factor of two by ten degree. So <clears throat> my feeling is that it doesn't do anything to the structure of the bean. It's just uh, it slows down the cinetics because the factor of two in the chemistry it's it's called the Arrhenius law. It is a pure kinetic rule. It, chemical processes are slowed down by cooling, by a factor of two, if you go ten, 10 degree down. And we see something similar here. So it seems to be pure chemical, physical process, but not like a cracking of the bean that would uh, make it. Hi, thank you for your lecture. Um, I just wanted to um, provide a quick story on um, kind of what you've done with your research and how we applied it. Um, in a practical sense, using a third grader's knowledge. So we um, um, kind of um, encouraged our daughter to enter a coffee-related science project. And so we were looking at coffee freshness. And in order for us to, dev- to assess like how coffee you know, was going to be fresh, we gave her some balloons and some glass bottles. And we asked her to basically place coffee you know, that's been aged for one day, seven days, 15, and 30 days, oh. put a balloon, and she was capturing the CO2. And so we gave her kind of a graphical way, oh, a empirical way to show coffee freshness, and she like won her physical science, science fair project. Oh, she, she did that at school? Yeah. And what, what she, did she see a difference on the balloon? Yeah, we saw the difference. Actually, after 21 days, we saw a significant reduction in the amount of CO2 that was being captured by the balloon. And by 30 days, it was like almost like it wouldn't even like go up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, great, great. So that, <laughs> I'm happy for your daughter then. Okay. Thank you very much. That was Shahan Yuretzian at Expo in 2018. Remember to check out our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and visit worldofcoffee.org for tickets to our next run of lectures. This has been an episode of the SCA podcast. Thank you for joining us.